Father, if there's anything that separates and distinguishes you from all things in creation, it is the fact that you are holy. You're in a class all by yourself in a category that only belongs to you. You are wholly distinct from all things. You stand outside of all things, worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Lord, and to be welcomed into your presence this morning is an invitation from you, and it's a gift. And we receive that humbly to meet with you this morning on your terms, in your way according to how you desire to be praised. As we open your word, Father, to hear from you, would you guide us, Spirit of God, because only you are worthy. It's in the name of Christ Jesus and for his sake we pray and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's word and meet me in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 7 this morning. Um, And as you turn there, I was thinking uh, this week as COVID cases are spiking again and uh, whether it's BA4 or BA5 and this new variant comes, that's what my family had. I want to remind you that if you're here and you feel a bit more comfortable wearing a mask, uh, that there is masks and social distancing up in our balcony for those of you who would feel more comfortable to do that. So I want to offer that to you. For those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much for being there, being here with us. And for those of you in the room, perhaps this might be your first uh, Sunday with us. If you're a guest with us here this morning, I am grateful you are here. Um, You have a lot of thoughts as you're quarantined in your basement uh, away from everyone. And as I was praying for you and praying for our church, I was reminding myself of my why, right? It's important for all of us to have a very clear sense of purpose when it comes to what we do, both vocationally and in the ministry God has called us to. And I was was sitting there, there were several things that came to mind, but there's one thing I don't know that I've ever voiced to you all in terms of how I see my role uh, as a pastor. And and I was thinking this morning would be a really wonderful time to tell you. Um, I view my role as sacred and holy, because the work that I will be doing the rest of my life, Lord willing, is preparing you to die and meet God. Which means that I care more for your soul than I do your comfort. And I was thinking this week about what we've all been through the last couple of years and what we've all experienced. And there are times of deep, deep, deep discomfort But when I think about my role, and as several saints and brothers and sisters in the Lord have gone on to meet Jesus just in the last few months, that why of purpose has come into crystal clarity for me, that one day each of us will stand before God. And on that day, on that day, our role as pastors is for you to stand there confidently with love and joy, receiving the well done from God because you have trusted fully in the finished work of Christ Jesus and you've lived in the community of the saints, having your souls encouraged that you see Sundays as an opportunity to renew your covenant with God in the most powerful of ways and that we get to forever and ever dwell in the presence of God, singing, enjoying creation with him. That's my why. So things might get a little uncomfortable. 
And sometimes you might hear some things that might make you feel a certain type of way. But I want you to know that as a pastor, when it comes to my role, I'm not in this for me. I can make a whole lot more money doing something else. Please believe. And I will tell you, I could have a whole lot less sleepless nights doing something else. Uh, But when there's nothing I'd rather be doing and there's nothing more important than caring for, stewarding, and shepherding your soul until you meet Jesus. So without further ado, let's turn to God's word in Amos chapter 7. When you get to Amos chapter 7, give me an oh yeah. If you need a minute, say hold up, brother. Fantastic. Amos chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 7 through 15 this morning. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, I see a plumb line. The Lord then said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, Oh, seer, go flee away to the land of Judah. Eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy here at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And before considering it, we should pray. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of your word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask. Amen. Friends, what you're about to hear is a true story. I was tending to sheep. It's a beautiful sunny day. It was hot, but the wind was blowing. I'm hearing the sounds of my sheep and goats meandering the countryside. And I just settled and nestled underneath a fig tree, done with my picking for the day, enjoying some fruits of my labor. When all of a sudden, a loud boom from the heavens flattened me to the ground. And there I was on the ground, face on the ground, rock smushing into my skin, and it took me a couple of seconds to realize what I was hearing. Could it be that I was actually hearing the voice of the Lord? And he was roaring from Zion. 
And I happened to glance a peek up into the sky, and it looked as if the very skies had parted for God and his word to break through. And there I was, terrified and fearful, and I heard the Lord say, go north and say what I tell you to say. I would have talked back if I wasn't so afraid. I would have pushed back if I wasn't so fearful, but here I was hearing the Lord roar from Zion, hearing and telling me to tell Israel, return to me or be destroyed. His message to me was clear. Go say what I want you to say. And here's the thing, y'all, I'm a nobody. I'm a country boy from Tekoa. Don't nobody know where Tekoa is. I've been keeping sheep. I've been picking figs. Who am I to go? God called me, me to go. So that's what I did. I packed up my donkey and I set out on the 60 mile trek north. I was on my way. And on my way, I heard the Lord say to me, Amos, my people have been faithless. They have forgotten about me. They have gone their own way. My people whom have been called by my name have bowed at altars that don't belong to me and have on their lips the names of gods that are not my name. And for this reason, I will not be with them. For this reason, I will leave them. They will be taken and I will not be with them. They believe that that altar in Bethel is where I live. Amos, tell them, I don't live there. They believe that's where my presence dwells. I am not there. Jerusalem is where my throne sits. So tell them to return unto me or die but also tell to them. Amos, let them know that if they seek me, they turn away from evil. They will live for I hate evil and I love good. And I will establish justice at the gates and I will be gracious to them. And I hear the Lord say this, and I had to stop my donkey and bow my face to the earth. And I said, Lord, this is a hard word. Who am I to say these things? But say them, I must. Amos journeys to northern Israel. And it's important for us to understand here in this room that as Amos is journeying north to Israel, that both northern Israel and southern Israel are experiencing great times of prosperity. Under King Uzziah in the south and Jeroboam in the north, they're experiencing decades of prosperity. And any time prosperity gets close to God's people, God's people get complacent. When prosperity gets close to God's people, God's people get comfortable. And when that comfort and when that complacency got into the church, what happened was that it led to idolatry and it led to corruption. It led to extravagance and it led to the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. 
As Moses is journeying north on his way to the synagogue, on his way to Bethel, he sees widespread injustice. The people of God who've been called by God's name, who are supposed to act and behave like God, are doing the exact opposite. Israel was crooked. Israel was corrupt. So Amos turns and he sees God. Now, I don't know what that's like, just so you know. I imagine it's probably a terrifying sight. But Amos has a theophany. It's a theological term for God taking on an anthropomorphic shape or form. It's God taking on the image and likeness for us to be able to behold him. God standing next to a wall that's built with a plumb line, holding a plumb line in his hand. This plumb line would have represented God's covenant standard for faithfulness. It would have represented God's covenant standard for righteousness. It would have represented God's covenant standard for justice. Now, when we say justice, what do we mean? We mean God has a standard for how all people should be treated. That's justice. Righteousness. God has a standard for how we ourselves should be seen before him and received by him. That's righteousness. In other words, practice what you preach. So here's Amos staring at this wall, a wall that's been made with a plumb line, which means that it is straight. I don't know how many of you guys were in the military, men and women in the military, but I've watched one time a former uh, military, a military veteran make a bed, and I've never seen a meticulous amount of detail to making a bed in my life. Yo, it's a bed. But what he understood was that the meticulous detail and the small things led to excellence in things larger. We're talking about a wall. But if you don't get the wall right, the entire building is off. So here's God standing next to a wall that's straight, holding a plumb line. And then he begins to speak concerning Israel, essentially saying that Israel, I've given you chance after chance after chance. I've showed you mercy and grace. I've been kind to you over and over and over again. And in each time, you've done the opposite thing. So here's what I'm going to do. I am setting a plumb line in your midst. I'm measuring you up against my perfect standards. And I want to see if you will mess up, measure up. But Amos already knew, and God already knew what he was going to find. He was going to find a people too corrupt and too crooked to be saved. So his very next words, no longer will I pass by them. Do you remember Passover? There were two groups of people in the Passover in Exodus 11 and 12 and 13. And those people, one were the Egyptians, one were the Israelites. And for the Israelites, those who had the blood of the lamb splayed on the altar, on the lentils and doorposts of their house, God would pass over them or pass by them. But for those in Egypt, the angel of the Lord, the angel of death, spread through and blew through Egypt, and he didn't pass over them. He passed through them. God's promise here is because of your crookedness, your lack of righteousness, 
I'm not going to pass over you. I'm not going to overlook your sin and your transgression. I'm not going to overlook your injustice. I'm not going to overlook the ways that you find yourself righteous. No, I'm going to pass through you. And when I pass through you, it'll be greater than any F5 tornado. You thought Katrina was bad. Wait till I bring myself through the crookedness of this generation. All of your idolatry, I will destroy. All of your comfort, I will destroy. All of your complacency, I will destroy. And your king, Jeroboam, I will superintend his death myself. Can y'all believe this guy, Amos? Here's this guy from Judah comes to me, Amaziah, the high priest at Bethel, and says, hey, can I have a few words in the synagogue? And I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to be a good guy. I was trying to uh, welcome a former uh, fellow minister into the house of the Lord. So I said, sure, Amos, why don't you have my pulpit? And I announced to the congregation, we've got a guest preacher today, and he steps up, and all of a sudden he begins to preach blasphemy. Can you believe this guy? You can, can you believe what he's saying? He, he's saying that we are going into exile. Does he not know the last 10 years have been the most prosperous 10 years ever? Does he not know our king who has ushered in this time of peace and prosperity? Things have never been better. Does he not realize the level of our astute nature and our status in the community. And he says, we're going into exile. Can you get a load of this guy? And he speaks words against our king. Does he not know our king? Our king is God's man. He's appointed by God. Our very altars here at Bethel are here for him. This is his kingdom. You know what? I'm going to go have words with my king. I'll write him a letter. Oh, Jeroboam. There's a madman here in Israel speaking all kinds of blasphemy against your name. Will you please come down here and deal with this? You know what? I'll do it myself. Now, at this point in the narrative, it's important for us to make a distinction about what a prophet is. It's important for us to understand what's getting ready to happen in the showdown between Amaziah and Amos. A prophet, and the reason the minor prophets are in our Bible are for three primary reasons. A prophet is determined first by the audience to whom he preaches. It is content and context what makes a prophet. So you got Amos, he's preaching to an audience. His audience are those who don't want to hear the right word of the Lord, who believe themselves right in their own eyes. Second, what makes a prophet is the reality that prophets are the minority. They see clearly what everyone else fails to. There's a biological term called olfactory fatigue. It's nose blindness. That's what happens in locker rooms. If a football player were to walk into a locker room, he sniffs and it smells like any other day. Should his mother walk into that locker room? She might sense and smell something that feels like it came from Dante's fifth level of hell. 
Over time, your nose gets used to certain smells, so it bombards your brain with chemical signals, so your brain actually shuts off what you're smelling so that you can attune to and pay attention to other things. When it comes to our own cultures, when it comes to our own sins, when it comes to our own selves, we've often become nose blind to us. We become nose blind to our own sin. So a prophet comes in from the outside and they see clearly what everyone else doesn't. Now, this is great news for those who will hear and listen to the prophet. But what tends to happen all throughout Scripture, third, is that there are attempts to silence the prophet. These attempts are guaranteed, whether that's slander, dismissal, or murder. Notice Amaziah, verses 8 and 9. It says, hey, seer, go back to Judah. Go prophesy in Judah. Go eat bread there. He's trying to silence him. He's trying to get him away. So Amaziah tells Amos to go home and prophesy there. Now look with me in verse 13. Now this is very interesting because in verse 13, he claims that Bethel, this altar and place of worship in northern Israel, is the king's. Now, when he says that, he's not referring to Yahweh. He's referring to Jeroboam, which means that the church here has colluded with the government to create a wholly different type of worship. And anytime the church colludes with the government, the government doesn't get better, the church gets worse. Amos can see what Amaziah can't. This is what God is like, and what you're involved in is not of God. And what does Amaziah say? Amaziah says, go. But then Amos comes back in. And what does Amos say? Amos is like, you have credentials. You're a high priest out of the order of Aaron. You went to school for this. You've been steeped in this your whole life. I don't have any credentials. I woke up a sheep herder. Next thing I know, I'm on my donkey heading north. You've got experience. You've been preaching and teaching in the synagogue your adult life. I have no idea how to string words together. I'm a sheep herder and fig picker from Tekoa. My father wasn't a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I didn't uh, fancy myself a prophet before now. God tells me to speak, and yet you tell me to not speak. And then because Amaziah rejects the words of the Lord, God in verses 17 affirms to Israel what's happening. Your exile is sure. Can I be honest with us this morning? I'm Amaziah. I've got the credentials. I've been doing this my whole life, leading people in worship. But far too often in my heart of hearts, it is not the plumb line of Yahweh that I use to measure others up against. It's the plumb line of my own making. And if we're honest, friends, if we keep it all the way a buck, each of us has our own personal plumb lines with which we measure the actions and motivations of other people. 
so that it's not God who labels them as crooked, it's us. You don't believe this same way about me about this particular issue, crooked. You don't think this particular way about this particular pastor or preacher, crooked. Oh, that church helped you at one point in your life. Do you not know what they're really about behind the scenes? Crooked. And what we've done is we've all become Amaziah, worshiping a God of our own creation at altars made of our own hands, ultimately missing the point and silencing the prophets. False worship will be the death of us. Now, consider the work of Jesus. We said there were three things to make a prophet. Here, Jesus comes on the scene preaching the standards and the righteousness of God to an audience that often stops their ears, hurls insults, and even goes so far as to be agents of death. Side note, if you're a believer and everyone likes you, I have serious doubts about the sincerity of your faith. Because the reality is that all of those who are called by the name of Jesus and called into his service will ostensibly bump up against the plumb lines of other people and they must stand firm up against those because of God's word. There's a reality where if Jesus, the king of the universe was hated, then that is what we should expect. All of those of us who desire to live a godly life, Jesus, preaches to an audience, a word of the kingdom to an audience that doesn't want to listen, that stops their ears, and it's just, ah, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I don't want to listen, let me go kill you. Second, Jesus saw clearly what everyone else failed to. Jesus saw what the kingdom was really like. The kingdom wasn't like the syncretism between church and state mixed together. It was wholly different. The kingdom didn't look like anything on earth. It was not of this world. The kingdom didn't look like some combination of man-made belief and heavenly thoughts. No, the kingdom was radically different and opposed to the things of the world. Jesus knew this, and the religious leaders tried to kill him because he's preaching it, and the state tried to kill him. Side note, when you're living the Christian life right, you're not safe because everyone's coming for your neck. Because the kingdom life is not compatible with this earthly life. And ultimately, as they did with the prophets, and Jesus declares this even in his day, he says, what happened to all the prophets before me? You killed them. As if to foreshadow not only his own death, but to prepare his disciples for their own deaths. Because if you are a prophet, meaning you bring a message of the kingdom to people who don't want to hear it, then they will try to assassinate you. They'll try to assassinate your character. They'll lie on you. They'll tell you stories, they'll gaslight you and make you believe you're crazy, all because they're seeking to preserve their own false religion and way of life as opposed to hearing the word and the message of the kingdom and submitting to God. Now, what word is there here for us today, Pastor? This is heavy. This is a hard word. Because I know I don't measure up to my own standards. Isn't that wild about our own personal plumb lines? Like we have standards for everybody and we don't even measure up to our own standards. Or maybe let me just talk about myself. I don't measure up to my own standards. I got standards for everybody else and their mama. If you don't do this exactly. Yo, I have standards about how I load the dishwasher. 
I have standards about how I do my laundry, about how to fold my clothes. My daughter was trying to fold a, a T-shirt of mine the other day, and I got in the way, and I'm like, yo, that's not how you fold my shirts. And even I don't measure up to my standards. What word is there for us this morning? Those of us living in a world where everyone has a standard, even those in our own so-called camps. And it feels like the call is either do what I do, live up to my standard, or be exiled. Here's the reality. Here's the whole thrust of the sermon this morning. Here it is. If we do not listen to God's prophet and meet God's standard of justice and faithfulness, we are headed to a place where God is not, and that is exile. If we do not listen to God's prophet and meet God's standard of justice and faithfulness, we're headed to a place where God is not exile. Earlier in this book, Amos, speaking on behalf of God, God says, hey, look, you remember that drought? I sent you that drought hoping that it would turn your attention back to me, and it never did. So then I sent pestilence upon you, hoping that that would turn your attention to me, and it never did. And then I sent locusts onto you, hoping that would turn your attention. I've thrown calamity after calamity after calamity at you, hoping it would grab your attention, that you would turn your face in desperation to me, and you never did. And here's the call for us. How many more things have to break before we turn our gaze and our hearts to God? How many more things in our life have to fall through the cracks and utterly fail before we get the realization that it's God who wants our attention? It's God who wants our hearts. And here's Amos, a lowly sheep herder and fig picker, to borrow my buddy Dave Wagner's phrase for Amos, who's coming along and saying, he's the object, not this thing you've made. But friends, there's good news. Because if we sit under the weight of condemnation, under this word, we would be wise to do so. But the reality is that, friends, none of us meets God's standards for justice and righteousness. None of us. My most progressive friends don't meet it. My most conservative friends don't meet it. All of us so-called independents don't meet it. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, black people don't meet it. White people don't meet it. None of us meet God's standards. So if I'm a pastor and I'm preparing you to die to go meet Jesus, to go meet God and you get before God, what is the judgment seat of God if it is not his plumb line measured against our entire lives? And if we go up there armed with only my good works, my good deeds, and my best intentions, friends, we will be exiled away from God. If we walk up to God saying, I measure up because look at all the money that I gave and look at all the trips I went on and look at all of the good things I did. I had a consistent Bible study with my family for 35 years. It will not measure up. When it comes to justice and righteousness, there is only one standard and none of us meet it. This is good news. Now, some of y'all are like, I don't know how that's good news. I have no idea how that's good news. Ain't no way that's good news to me. And here's why it's good news. When you realize that none of us meet God's standard for justice and righteousness, you stop trying and you start trusting. When you realize that there's nothing you can do to make God impressed, you really think you can impress God? 
I mean, think about this. You really think you can impress? Right now, there are a myriad of angels encircling the throne of God, telling him how wonderful he is. Right now, if you could hear inside of the vacuum of space, what you would hear is a celestial soliloquy to a sovereign savior where all of creation sings his praises and you think you can impress God? Look at Saturn. God loves Saturn so much, he didn't put just one ring on it. He put a gang of rings around it. All of the heavens declare the majesty and the glory of God. How does your mission trip stack up against it? You cannot impress God. God impresses God. God is the only thing that impresses God. God, in all of his triune goodness and beauty, impresses himself. He is self-enamored in his holiness and his goodness. He doesn't need your attaboys or pats on the back. Child, please, you're nothing compared to the holiness and the righteousness and the sovereignty of God. You and I are nothing. We don't measure up. And here's why that's good news. Because when we stop trying to live according to plumb lines, either of our own making or that of our political parties or cultures or cultural expectations, and we start living according to the plumb line of God, here's what happens. What happens is we actually trust in Jesus to make us right instead of tweeting the right things or Facebook reposting the right people, or voting the right way. The kingdom of heaven is not of this world. Here's the good news. Here's what makes you righteous. It is faith and the finished work of Jesus. That's what makes us righteous. And I love this, friends, because I spent my whole life trying to get it right being utterly frustrated that I can't. Look, I, I used to treat Sunday mornings like, um, like a bath. Like Sunday mornings, it was like a bath where I would, I would be out in the world and get all dirty and then come in on Sunday and get clean only to go back out into the world and get dirty again. But what I was always frustrated by was that on Sundays I would leave feeling so clean and then I'd end up cussing somebody out on my way home <laughs> or falling back into the same hole that I thought I had gotten out of that morning. The reality is, friends, there is nothing that causes us to measure up to God's plumb line except for faith in the finished work of Jesus because when that happens, what belongs to him, which is perfect righteousness as Jesus is impressive to God because only Jesus can impress God because only God can impress God. When our faith is in that, that becomes ours. And when that becomes ours, we get measured up against that plumb line and we get to waltz into the presence of God because we meet the standard, but it wasn't your doing, it was his. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but a holy lean on Jesus' name. Or, or what about this one for some of my older saints? The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not, not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never no, never forsake. The good news, friends, is that if you're tired of trying to be perfect, you don't have to be. It's a losing battle. 
But if you believe that Christ Jesus is who God has said that he is, my son, born of a virgin, died your death on a cross, and there in that grave he stays for three days. For three days, he's in the womb of the earth. For three days, he's in the tomb of the earth. And in those three days, on that Sunday, he gets up and he tells sin, hell, death, and Satan in the face and says, baby, you couldn't touch me if we were in a phone booth. That as the power of God rises in all power, looks to confirm what he's always known to be true, which is I am he. This kingdom is mine. You belong to me. And when he defeats death, sin, and hell, now we ain't got to try. We just got to trust. And now Jesus looks upon us with blessedness instead of condemnation. And here's the invitation. You and I, you and I can be welcomed into this blessedness, this place of stop trying to impress. It was never going to work anyway. But in a place of trusting Jesus that we that we, by faith in the finished work of Christ, might measure up to who God is. Because God will pass through the earth just one more time. He won't pass over it. He's going to pass through it. And will he find faithfulness on the earth? I can boldly and accurately declare as a lowercase p prophet of God that to all who would fully trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ, we shall freely wave unashamedly as God reigns destruction on all those who are trying to be perfect apart from him. So I'm done. But I believe that every time God's word is opened, it demands a response. So I wanna take just a few minutes here. I don't know what God is doing in your life. I don't know what the spirit of God is doing inside of you, what he might be calling you to. I know for me, I've got to stop placing the efficacy of my own um, uh, forgiveness in how well I pray or how honest I am about my sin. But hearing the words of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, whatever that looks like. Let's take the next 30 to 40 seconds to sit still and be with the Lord. Father, nowhere else in this world will the message that we are not enough and we do not measure up be good news to a people. Nowhere else in a world that says, find yourself, find happiness in yourself, find happiness in your group, will this message of justice and righteousness so soothe and become a balm to our own souls. Because Jesus, only you, only you make us righteous. 
Continue to create, O Lord, a people who would trust more in your finished work than we would in our own efforts, strengths, and energies. Continue to create a people with a fervent and earnest desire of seeing the kingdom reflected within our own church more than we have a desire to be right. Because ultimately, we will go to meet you soon, soon and very soon. We are going to meet the king. And when that happens, would you find these saints faithful for trusting in what you've already accomplished for us? We pray and ask this in the name of Christ Jesus and for his sake. Amen.